We'll get into God's Word. We're doing the names of God. Uh, you know, this week, as I was in my, my study time, my, my prayer meditation time, I'm, I'm preparing the Acts series that's coming up. Uh, I'm getting that kind of finished, and we're doing a little series in a couple, about a month called Truth and Tolerance, which I was looking at, you know, what is truth and how does God want us to love our, our neighbors, all that kind of stuff. Something that hit me this week that was just, again, and I know that you know this and you hear it, but I don't know if you could hear it enough. God really loves you. He really, really loves you. And uh, what a joy it is for you to be here. Uh, what joy. I mean, just the, the fact that what he has done to make sure that you could be with him and then you coming back and, and bringing him worship and praise today, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, and it is a privilege to get to preach to those that God loves so much. We've been talking about this God, who he is. He does love us. And we want to love him back, don't we? We have to know him. As that's why we want to know his names. That's how he's revealed himself to us. This is, helps us to get to the idea of, of, of his character, his nature, so that we can love him back. And so these last, this is our 10th sermon in this series. We've got three more. Uh, I hope it's been a great opportunity for you to get to understand who is this amazing God who we serve, uh, who we get to, to love. Today, we get to talk about another name of God with part of these compound names where it's Yahweh plus. So if, if you missed the, the message on Yahweh, who that is, I invite you to go back to our website, listen to that, funchurch.com. It's an amazing thing. But today's name that we get to is oh, just a beautiful one. It's Yahweh Shalom. It's an amazing one. That it's the God of peace. The Lord is our peace. What an amazing thing. Our memory verse today is a little bit long, but boy, is it powerful. It comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, where Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Isn't that a powerful passage? This one is, is huge because I don't know if you, but the world is not always at peace but you can always be at peace. This is not a command, but an invitation from our God that we can do something superhuman because most people can't live this way. But Jesus has given us, boy, this is an amazing thing. He gives us his peace. And not as the world gives. Think about how the world gives peace. Have you ever seen a, a world peace that has ever lasted? It's always temporary. It's always contingent upon something. But this is not the way it is God's peace. He just leaves it with you. So you don't have to let your hearts be troubled. You don't have to be afraid. So we invite you out of fear and out of trouble today. We're going to talk about how to do that. But first, let's take this memory verse. And this is how we're going to memorize it. You're going to say it along with me a few times, and then we're going to test ourselves, and you'll get a good head start. And then you've got a memory verse card in your, in your bulletin. And I invite you to take that, and you can keep that with you throughout the week as you remind yourself of this truth. So here we go. Say it along with me. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. All right, we see how it goes? All right, let's do it again. Peace I leave with you, my peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. This is a long one, so we're going to do it again. Let's soak in. Here we go. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. All right, now this is hard, so we're going we're gonna to test ourselves, but we need each other. And this, all right? So here we go. Let's try it. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. Oh, very good. You got a little bit of a start on that. But I'll tell you, this is a powerful, powerful passage. Because anxiety will creep into our lives if we're not careful. That's why Jesus talks about peace so much. It's such an important thing because when we are panicked, when we are filled with fear, then we lack the courage and sometimes the focus that we need to live the lives that God has called us to live. But this is a gift that Jesus gives to you. So I invite you to take this passage and memorize it, review it every day. Right? And when anxiety comes back into your life, we're going to talk about the scope of this piece a little bit today, what it means and the power of it. But take this, that memory verse card right now. Put it in your pocket, your wallet, your purse. Tape it in the back of your phone, somewhere you can get to. So this passage will be available to you as we grow in Christ. All right. So names of God, most of these come from uh, 
from stories that are important events in the life of Israel, and uh, this one is no different. Yahweh Shalom, God is our peace, and it comes to us from the book of Judges, chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, why don't you take it up, open it up to the book of Judges, chapter 6. If you have one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 169. If you forgot your Bible or need one, we've got lots of them there in the back. There's a little bookshelf there, and if you just need a Bible, uh, keep it, our gift to you. Now, you'll notice the book of Judges as you're turning there, just a little thing. When does this take place in Israel? Well, this was between the conquest and the kingdom. That's when Judges took place. So after Moses, Moses had uh, uh, let Joshua come in. Uh, God allowed Joshua to lead the people back into the promised land, and there was the conquest. And then the kingdom took place several hundred years later, where we have you know Saul and then, of course, uh, David and Solomon, the kingdom. This is between those two. So when people were in the promised land, they were in the nation, but they, they didn't have a formal king. They had God as their king, which I think was actually pretty formal. That was that way. Now, the last, how the people were doing it, was, it was a tumultuous kind of time. And it says here, in the very last part of it, it says this, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. That's at the end of the book, right? There was a t- the time in Israel where people were just doing what they wanted. Everyone did what they thought was best. You know, there's a couple of times in Scripture that we hear a phrase very similar to this that says the people just did what they they wanted to do as they saw fit, what they thought was best. That was right before the flood when God had to wipe the earth clean because people were so sinful and wicked, such all their thoughts are wicked all the time, that people, they thought they were moral. They were doing what they thought was best, but they were doing wicked things. The other time is in Sodom and Gomorrah. It says the people were just doing what they thought was the, that they thought was best. So when we see this phrase in Scripture, you know that things are coming unspooled. And the people of God in the book of Judges, God, they were, they were falling apart, doing what they wanted. And I think it's important for us to want, look into our own life and say, can this be said of, of us? See, part of being a Christian is learning to obey all of what Christ has commanded. Why? Because if everybody is their own king, we all these little kingdoms, eventually we're gonna, our interests are going to run against each other, right? And then we have little wars. And sometimes those wars are interpersonal wars between me and another person. Sometimes those wars are between families. Sometimes those wars are, are get bigger, right? They lead to church splits. They lead to family splits. Sometimes they lead to bloodshed. Sometimes they lead to nations fighting each other. And here's the thing about war. I've never really seen a war in which both there was one side who thought they were the bad guys. Somehow, we always think we're on the side of right. You ever notice that? When we do what we think is right, it leads us to do some really wicked, awful things because we live selfishly. And the truth is, is that our moral compass has been broken since the garden. That's what happened when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, right? The fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their moral compass, all of a sudden, it's that God said they could now create their own standards of right and wrong. They'd be like God. The problem is, is that our standards of right and wrong aren't always accurate. And sometimes we call something right, and it is really wrong. And we will believe that it is right, and we can trick ourselves to say it is right. And we can cause all kinds of conflict, and conflict is the opposite of peace, isn't it? And we see this is true in the world. Turn on the news. It's not like, you know, breaking news. Peace broke out in the Middle East. That's not usually what happens. What we find is when we are left to our own devices, conflict continues and it grows and conflict causes anxiety it causes pain it causes all kinds of frustrations it causes anger and hatred and this is not where we want to live we see the people of israel at the very beginning at the the end of this this book of judges they were in a time of of unspooling of people doing what they thought was right Now, God was their king, he was their leader, and he did tell them. He gave them the law, the covenants, all these things. But for hundreds of years, over time, they drifted away, and they just started doing what they wanted to do. And so it it leads up to then the kingdom and all this, what God does. But there we find ourselves, you need to know what was happening in the time, like where it was happening in 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 the nation of Israel. Now, we call the book of Judges not because there was a bunch of guys who sat in courtrooms and did a gavel. The judges were like these superheroes that God brought up as the people would begin to unspool and bad things would start to happen and then they would repent and then God would bring somebody to deliver them and for whatever reason, they were called judges. 
And this is the story in chapter 6 about a certain judge named Gideon. Now, in, this, uh, in, in Judges, as you read it, you'll see that there's a pattern, a cycle that goes through. You start with prosperity because God begins, he blesses his people. They come into the land of milk and honey, right? He blesses them with prosperity. And, and then what happens in prosperity is that people then, they start to forget about God. And that prosperity leads to apostasy where they start to live for things other than God, right? And then that apostasy then leads to oppression. God removes his protection and his blessing upon them, and so he lets the world come back in, and the nastiness of the world comes in, and the world acts like it always has, and it leads to horrible oppression. And the people of Israel, in the midst of their pain and their oppression, they repent, and they cry out to God and say, help us. We recognize that we weren't being great. And then God brings, after that repentance, he, he brings a judge up, and then there's deliverance. And with deliverance, then we find prosperity returns to the nation, sometimes for a whole generation. It's great. And then in that prosperity, then another generation comes up and they forget about God and the cycle continues. Right now, in in chapter 6, as we begin the story, we find the nation at that parse in the cycle where they are in the midst of oppression. And so we pick it up in verse 1 and it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's apostasy. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. That's oppression. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, in caves, and in strongholds. Now I want you to think for just a second, because it's easy to read. Think in a cave. Because these were real people who had nice houses. How bad would it have to be for you to leave your house and live in a cave? That's how bad it was. You know, we don't have to really put too much of our imagination. Brothers and sisters of ours in other places in the world are having to leave their houses and go live in caves. And that's a present reality. And we see the terror and the horror of what that level of oppression, what that looks like. This is what Gideon's life was. He was like a a modern-day Christian who's living in, in ISIS territory. This was bad. It was scary. And so it says, Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded their country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither a sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents were like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. This was a time that things get so bad, and so there's oppression, and it leads to repentance. There's a couple things that we have to look at this. First one is Israel didn't deserve better. God didn't send the Midianites. He allowed them. (laughs) He removed his the, the people did evil. They were like, we don't want to, we're going to do things our own way. We're going to do what's right in our own eyes, God. And so God removes his blessing. And he allows the world, the wickedness of the world, to come flooding back in. And it flooded back in. The Israelites were getting what they deserved. We understand that, that, that they didn't deserve any better. That first line, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is something that's profound about our God, so different. This is one of the things that we look at God and recognize that people didn't create Him. Because when people create gods, we create gods in our image. A couple of years ago, I was in Boulder, and I was at a stoplight. Uh, I was was driving down to get uh, one of our computers worked on, and I was at a stoplight. And in front of I was the, I was the second car in line. The first car in front of me had a person that was just a little bit slow, Right? So we're at the stoplight, and that didn't really bother me that much, right? So he was a little bit slow, and, and that's not the part. The part that bothered me was the guy behind me, because even at a stoplight, he was tailgating. Have you ever had one of those people? Like, I was sitting there in a stoplight with somebody in front of me, and during the red light, he keeps creeping up closer and closer to my bumper. I'm like, where do you think I'm going to go? Where do you think you're going to go? Like, was he going to push us? I don't know. The guy in front of me, I think, was changing his radio station or something, right? And then he looks up, and he's like, oh, and then he starts going. So it wasn't terribly long, maybe a two count. I was thinking to myself, it got to that awkward point. They're like, should I beep? I don't know. Might be a friendly beep if I do, like a one of those. Before I really had a chance to have that thought fully develop from behind me, right? So the guy in front of me thinks I'm beeping. 
right? I'm like, I didn't do it. Put my hands up, right? So it's like, it's not me, right? So we start pulling through the stoplight. And the guy behind us passes both of us in the middle of the intersection, goes around us, and then, you know, goes, we're on 28th Street, and there was a police officer pulling out of a, uh, uh, one of those uh, fast food places, and he was pulling out, and he saw it. And this guy got pulled over in front of all of us. And I will tell you, there was a deep sense of joy. <laughs> right? I was like, oh, you got what you deserved. Right? So there's something in us that just loves to see that justice. That when somebody has been doing something, then they get their comings, right? That's, that makes us feel so good. And if we created a God, that is exactly what he would do. And Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they were going to get what they got coming to them. But our God is not like us. Because that's not the end of the story. We see here that, that the people of Israel, they cry out in the midst of their pain when bad things happen in their life, and then God does something. And it's not to bring more pain. It's not to bring just judgment. Now, he does bring conviction. He lets them know. First, like, yes, this is why things are happening. But then he brings deliverance. It's an amazing thing about God. I think that's why most of us, when life is good, a lot of times people drift from God. We see that in the church. Sometimes life starts going good for somebody, and then we see them at church, this kind of drift. And then when life gets hard, they come back. That's why this book that we give out, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong, the pastor who wrote this, wrote that he asked a bunch of people over 20 years why they started coming to church. And you know what it was? Is when life is hard. These are the main reasons when people start going to church. That's why we give it out as a, as a gift for people when they come. Usually, we come to God when life is hard. And the amazing thing is that we can come to God when life is hard. <laughs> Usually, it's because we messed it up or somebody else messes it up for us. Usually, we're doing things our own way. But isn't it good to know that our God, when we come to him, is not the kind that is just going to be like, yeah, you deserve it. No, because the people get cried out. This is what it says here in verse 7. Because of Midian, he sent a prophet who said. Now listen to what the prophet said. This is, this is not Gideon. This is a guy who goes right before Gideon. And he goes throughout the land and he says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. God is showing him, listen, I have loved you, and I have done some pretty good things for you, right? I care about you. Then he says in verse 10, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Sometimes when we recognize that life, we go to God with our pain, sometimes God needs to show us this is why there's pain. We've done things our own way. We've done, and God's like, I've, you're not following what I told you to do. <laughs> this is why you are in pain. Now, God doesn't just rub their nose in it. He sends a prophet to explain very clearly, this is why. Because how can you change something if you don't know why? And the cool thing is, is that he doesn't just stop there. God sends a prophet so the people can understand. How can we repent if we don't know what to repent of? He gives them something very specific. This is what you have done. I saved you. I've done all of these things. I've proven that I'm God. And the very simple request that I had from you is, don't worship these other gods. You have me. And yet they did. And then verse 11, the very next verse, after God sends an understanding of, so they can truly repent, not just feel bad, but they can repent. Then he says, the, uh, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Orpha and be that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Right? This was their food. They didn't have Safeway, right? Whatever they brought in, right? that's what they ate. That was what they got for the year. And the, the Midianites, what did they do? It says that they took all the food. So if you were a farmer and you brought in a harvest and then somebody came and ate it all, your family was going to starve. There was nowhere else to go. And so here's this guy hiding in a wine press, which is not easy to do, trying to thresh the wheat and trying to hide it from the Midianites. He's trying to save his family and his people. He is he's suffering horribly. 
and he's filled with anxiety and terror. He's in a land that is not safe, and yet he still has to call it home. This is where God shows up in the middle of this guy's storm, in the middle of his pain, in the middle of his fear. And this is what the angel of the Lord said. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty Lord, warrior. And we know exactly how Gideon felt about this in the very next verse. Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. And we look at this and you think, wow, Gideon, God just showed up. There's an angel, God, right there saying, I'm with you. You might be like, grateful? Right? But there's a sense of cynicism in here that was bought by pain. Isn't it amazing that sometimes, I mean, you, you read that first thing and you're like, maybe this is not the right guy. I mean, could God use a cynic? But recognize that, that God understood his pain, the reason that he is there. I mean, have you ever been in a place where you feel you're just sick and tired of hearing how God keeps his promises to other people, but you don't see his promises kept in your life? I was there for a decade. I was so sick and tired of hearing, God can heal whoever he wants. I'm like, yeah, well, then he should start with my wife. How about that? That's where I was. I was prayed and prayed and prayed. I got tired of praying. I was one of those things where if I had one more person tell me, God's powerful enough, you just have to have faith. I was like, I have faith. Right? I was mad. And if God showed up right then, I probably would have said something that was snarky. How do I know that? Because I used to walk up this mountain and yell at God. And I would tell him exactly I figured he knew in my heart. And I would tell him, but I wouldn't abandon him. But I had doubts, significant doubts about his love if I felt abandoned. And the thing that made it worse is that I got to work here and I got to tell you how great God is. And I got to see how good he was in a lot of your lives, doing amazing things. And I think we have a man here who had that cynicism that was forged in pain. And again, this is how we see that God is not always like us. Now think about if you wanted to go help somebody, you saw that they were hurting, and you go, and you're like, I'm going to help them out. Right? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe your neighbor is like their house is on fire, and you see their, their house is on fire. So you're like, I want to do the neighborly thing. I'm going to go let them know their house is on fire. So you walk over, and you, you knock on the door, and you say, hey, neighbor, your house is on fire. Let me help you get out. And they're like, oh, now you show up? Where were you before? Well, this neighborly love. I haven't hardly seen you. You'd be like, okay, fine, neighbor. Enjoy your smoky house. That's kind of how most of us would be, right? You have, you have Gideon, who is there in the midst of pain. He is sassy to God. And how does God reply? Says the Lord, verse, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? He doesn't even get caught up in, in the snark at all. God shows up and says, I'm with you. And Gideon has a little temper tantrum. And God's like, go in the strength you got. I'm asking you to go. And you're going to deliver, you're going to deliver your people. Why? Because I'm with you. It's not you doing, it's me. And then Gideon again says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? This is a really dumb plan, God. I'm glad you showed up, but you picked the wrong guy. This is my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the weakest in my family. They're the one, I'm the one that's left behind trying to thresh wheat. Sometimes when God shows up, his plan doesn't make sense to us, Right? Right, Gideon was like this, like, God, you're going to answer my prayers. All this time we've been asking you to come and deliver us, and now you're going to send me just to go fail? But the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. God, again, just reaffirms his presence. It's his power. See, when God shows up, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who he is. And this was going to be that that was that was going to be what delivered them would be God, not Gideon. And so Gideon replied, he's like, Okay, I see you, I hear what you're saying. 
good point that you're going to be the one that you, you did get the Egyptians. So what do you say? If I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it here before you. Right? So he's like, all right, I see that you're God. You're telling me to go, but you're going to need to give me a little more assurance because you want me to send out against these hordes, these masses, these, these group, this army that's more like a locust infestation. I'm going to need something more. And God has the authority to say, no, I told you to go. Now do it. Right? But look at the mercy of God. It says, and the Lord said, I will wait until you return. God's like, all right, I will do it. Again, look at his kindness and his compassion to Gideon. Young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought it out and offered them to him under the oak. Now think about how long it is it takes to cook a meal from scratch. It's not like he had like a freezer full of goats. Like he had to go out in the field and catch a goat, and then he had to get the goat. And then he had to cook the goat, and that takes a while because he had to have a fire and all that. And while he's doing that, he's making bread from scratch. I mean, this is a while. This is, these are hours that are ticking by, and God's just hanging out under the oak tree like, yeah, I, I've got all the time in the world because I made it, right? That's what he's doing. And Gideon, of course, when God is there, you don't just throw something. You don't put something in the microwave. You make a nice meal. And so he makes a nice meal, and he brings it out to God. And then it says, the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place both of them on the rock, and pour out the broth. Now, this was a meal that Gideon had just spent hours preparing, toiling, right? Making it perfect. And God's like, put it over in that rock and dump it out. And so it says, and Gideon did so. Like, all right, that's how you like it. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff in his hand. Fire flared from the rock and consumed the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. That would have been awesome, right? Like he's like, God's like, you want a sign? <laughs> I'll give you a sign. Take that, make sure that it's all as wet as it could possibly be, all that soggy, unleavened, soaked up bread now. And God's like, out. But God wasn't gone. See, he disappeared, but he didn't go away. Because what happens next? This part, so we, this is so cool. Verse 24, so Gideon, or say it's right here. Uh, it's verse 22. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And he was terrified. And why would he be terrified? Well, you remember we talked about last week about being holy, and there was this place that was called the whole, most holy place, the holy of holies, the, the place that only one guy who was, had to be, he was different, he was the high priest, he was holy. He was the only one that was authorized, and only once a year, even if he went in any other time, he would die because God was holy. That was God's room, right? And, and so and the reason that the high priest couldn't go in the most holy place other than that other time it is because of this. It said because God himself was there, right? He manifested himself in between the cherub on, on the altar. That's, that's what, where God was at, and that's why it was too holy for people to be in. Gideon realized that he saw that same God face to face. He's like, I'm not a high priest, and I'm not in the most holy place. And I really probably, coming to think of it, I regret some of it. He's like, I am doomed. And God just and disappears, and he says this, oh my goodness, look, I can't believe it. And then, what does God do? He says, says, but the Lord said to him, this is after God disappeared, by the way. This is a voice. The Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. Isn't it amazing when you know that God is with you and you don't see him? And the word that God had for Gideon was peace. See, Gideon recognized, I think, at this moment that God had always been with him. God did not abandon him. He might not have seen God, but God was definitely there. And God met him at his point of greatest turmoil. And so what does Gideon do? Verse 24, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Orpha of the Abyssalites. This was before Gideon went to war against the Midianites. In fact, it's a great story. I invite you to read how Gideon, how God uses Gideon to destroy the Midianites in the most unexpected, crazy way. This is an incredible battle and how God does it. But even before God brought peace to the land, Gideon was still in a place that was surrounded by enemy. 
He was still in a place that just minutes before he was terrified threshing wheat in the wine press. This is the same. None of his circumstances have changed. And at that very place, in the midst of turmoil, what does he do? He builds an altar. And he says, God is peace. That is an altar inside before God ever had to bring him a peace on the outside. That is an amazing thing. I think we find in this passage, this is a great story, some amazing things that we, we can learn from, uh, from this, what, who God is. I think that we have to look at this first and say, the Lord is peace. He built an altar. He didn't just say it. He put something into his life to remember it, to say, you know what? Right now, in the midst of this, I'm going to trust that God is going to do what he's going to do. He's proven himself. All right? He showed up. And I'm going to trust it. I'm going to build something so I don't forget. Because the reality is, he knew he was going to go to war. And sometimes when we go and we fight the battle, anxiety can creep back in. He he needed to remember something in his life that God showed up and this is who God is. God is a God of peace. And so he does. Now, three observations about Yahweh Shalom, that God is our peace that I want you to get today, some things from this story and, and from Scripture, is that we recognize that Yahweh Shalom does mean God is our peace. And we have to take it at its word that God really is our peace. The, the, the Shalom that's in there, the, the basic definition of Shalom, you, uh, we're going to go to Israel and, and what uh, way, if you haven't signed up for that yet and you want to, you better quickly because uh, we don't have much many room much room left so so do that quick but i'll tell you what we're going to go over there and I, i've heard that a lot of times people greet each other over there as shalom what does that mean well peace is how it's translated but it, what it really means is it means a harmony of relationship that's what shalom means so some ways that it's used is uh it means a, a completion of a transaction for example you go to mcdonald's you buy your hamburger right so you order the hamburger and what do they do they take your money Right? So now they take your money. Now what happens between the time that they have your money and you don't have the hamburger? You don't have shalom. Right? Have you ever gone to a place and they've taken your money but they didn't give you your hamburger? At first it's a little awkward and then it gets frustrating and then you're like, oh, where's my burger? But you go and you pay your money, they give you your burger, shalom. Right? They're happy, you're happy, it's peace. That's what this means. It means it's also used as a completion of uh, a payment of a debt. You ever have somebody owe you money? Like you, you lent them some money and then they owe it to you or, or maybe you borrowed some money and then every time you see that person, there's like there's a little bit of, there's just something there. And then when they pay it off or you pay it off, then it's gone and then like you're, there's like this, it's just a, 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 a peace returns in the relationship. That's shalom. And, and so recognize that in our life, we have a debt between us and God, right, don't we? It's hard to have peace with God because we've sinned. And it says the penalty of sin, the debt is death, right? We, we owe Him something. And we're debtors. God has given us grace, and sometimes we haven't given Him obedience back or mercy back. There's a, there is a lack of shalom. And a lot of people live their lives this way, and how do they try to, to bring shalom back? Well, they try to go into religion, try to do all these other things, try to, to do nice things back for God, but that doesn't ever work. We can't repay that debt with the lack of shalom. And yet we recognize that God is shalom himself. And I think that's why we find in Scripture over 170 times in the Old Testament that shalom is translated as peace. Because when there's no more debt, we can have peace. And this is who God is. The second thing we understand then is that God, Yahweh Shalom is a reality. That God is, is sensitive to the needs and to the sorrows of his children. I, this is true for all generations. God cares about us. And just like Gideon, maybe we don't see him, but he definitely sees us and he is aware of our need. And I think the most profound way that we can see this in Scripture is with the people who were kept as slavery in Egypt. And then for hundreds of years, they around them. And I imagine there were quite a few slaves in Egypt that were wondering, where is God? They lived, they grew up their entire lives in slavery. And look what it says in Exodus 3, before God res- brings Moses and frees the people from from, the, the, from slavery. This is what it says. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. 
God was doing something. The people of Israel had to be in slavery for a time. God was forging a nation. And even today, to this very day, the events, the time that Israel had to spend in slavery forged them as a nation. It became something very profound and very powerful that God needed them to have. But if you were in that generation that had to be in the slavery, that was where God had for you, it would be very hard, wouldn't it? I think during that time, those people say, God may not see my suffering. He just doesn't care about us. But God very much cared about them. And he didn't want them to suffer one second longer than they needed. He saw it. And here's the thing, too. He was concerned about it. And the truth is in our life, there are phases and there are times in our life that we need to go through trials and sufferings. And the temptation is to say, I don't see God in this, so he must not be here nothing could be further from the truth. Or I don't see God in this, so he must not care about me. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is forging you. That's what it tells us in, in Romans 8, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purposes. There's many places in Scripture actually talks about God uses these brokenness, these hard times, and he will use them for something great. We have to trust him in the storm. But just because he's allowing us to face this world does not mean he's not concerned. This, to me, is very helpful. It gives me great comfort and to know that God sees. I don't have to go to some temple and tell God my, my trials. He knows them already. And he cares about them. And he doesn't bring him pleasure when his children hurt. We also see that God desires to give us peace. This is what it says here in Psalm 29. It says, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. This is one of the things that God does. He sees our, our trials, and in the midst of even when the times are good and when they are not, his blessing to us is peace. And how does he do that? Well, one of the most profound ways that God brings peace is by giving us a different way to live. Remember, the people in, in the time of the judges were doing what was in their own eyes, and it led to all kinds of trial and turmoil. But look what it says here in, in Isaiah 48. It says this, if you had only paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, a well, your well-being like the waves of the sea. We have, God had said for hundreds of years, he sent prophets saying, listen, uh, you need to turn around. You're, not, you're doing things against what God wants, and it's going to lead to bad things. And finally, he sends Isaiah and says, bad things are now on their way. But he tells the people, listen, my ways, my laws were not burdensome. They're not bad things. I told you what was good for you. If you had just listened, it's like a good parent when you tell the kids, you know, like, here's the line in the middle of the car, don't cross it. Right? You put a boundary up for them, and if they would just listen on the road trip and they wouldn't cross that line, there would be peace and harmony in the car. But some kids got to do this, right? And then it's war. If you just listened. God's ways help us. That's why part of being a disciple is learning to obey all that Christ commanded. Not so become legalistic. Because God's ways actually lead to harmony and peace in our life. That's why. We have to start stop this, this crazy notion that following God is some horrible, difficult thing. No, it is freedom and life. And that's what he has for us. Even Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, right? Jeremiah was sent to the nation before they, go, like, was they were going to be sent into to exile. And Jeremiah says, at 29.11, God gives this to Jeremiah. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Even in difficult times when we deserve them, God still has plans for our, for our good. Isn't that powerful? It gives me peace to know that God is working in my life, even sometimes in my life when I don't seem to be working for him. God is so good. And so I think that's why in verse 13, you have Gideon knowing that, this, that God is this God. We expect God to be good and better than us. At verse 13, when God says, hey, uh, I'm with you. And Gideon says, wait a second, if you're with me, then how come I'm suffering? Right? That's, that was, I think it's a natural question. And, and I think that uh, we have to recognize that just because we're God's people doesn't guarantee that we're going to have peace. Sometimes if we don't follow God's ways, we invite suffering into our life. And God's ways are still there, and he will still allow us to come back anytime, and we can enjoy his peace. Second Chronicles says this, chapter 15 says, The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I think it's understandable in our life when we start doing things our own way. That's why Christians sometimes have horrible marriages and bad things that happen to us. Sometimes it's because we have, 
we've rejected God. We're like the people in Judges. God doesn't reject us, but sometimes he removes. He's like, if you don't want to do things my way, then you get the consequences of doing things the way that, <laughs> that the world works. Seek God. If you want to have peace in your life, seek God. If you're having difficulties in your life, maybe to begin by looking, have, ask God, give you introspection in your life. Where am I not following you? If you're truly following all things and you're suffering for righteousness, there's a whole set of blessings that God's going to give you for that. But the majority of our sufferings are typically self-inflicted, aren't they? When we do things our way, what seems right to us at the moment, and we reject what God has to say. And God says, listen, if you want me, I'm not hiding. My ways are very, very simple, and I will be found by you. It's not an if, I will. But if you don't want me, fine. Then I'm not going to, I'm not going to impose myself into your life. Now, here's the good news. Isaiah 57 is, is a passage, it's the same prophet, Isaiah, sent to the people that were going to be uh, brought in, they're going to be uh, sent for a, a pretty long time out. And, uh, and God says to them, he, he gives them Isaiah the big picture in Isaiah 56, 57, 58, kind of a big picture. What is God doing here? And he says, listen, my people, you were, uh, the people of Israel were to be more than just a special people. They were to be a light because God had a plan for grace for the entire world. And in that chapter, it says this, peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord. God, his offer of peace isn't for a select few, for just the holy huddle. God wants there to be peace. That's who he is. Now, check out what he says in the very next verse. You get the context of it. He says, but the wicked are like the, toss, the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So if you ever quoted that thing that says there's no peace for the wicked, this is what you're quoting. And God's saying, listen, God wants peace, but those who reject him will never find peace. And it says why. It says they're like the tossing waves. They have no foundation. And look in this world where people have no God where they say, this is where our ethics come from. This is where, this is where truth comes from. This is where how we know we want to live our life. We're following Christ. It's his way, not ours. And that doesn't change. When we are up as people, as a society, decide we want to change what is right and wrong, what happens? We're untethered. We are like people washed about. And all of a sudden we have turmoil in every part of our life. And what kind of waves? The kind that cast up mire and mud. We are shallow and messy, and that's the way our lives can be lived, but God invites us to a better place. He's not holding out. He says, peace, peace, far and near. His offer of grace, the offer of a, of a stable place to build our lives is open to all, available to all in Christ. So we have this thing, we recognize that if we want to know peace, we have to know God. And if we don't third thing I want you to get on this is that Jesus is Yahweh Shalom. That's who he is. Jesus is God, our peace. He is the supplier of peace itself. Jesus is the supplier of Shalom. Look what Jesus said in John 16, the gospel of John. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's not saying that his peace is a shallow kind of peace like the world. It's going to be based upon your circumstances. God says, you're going to have peace in good times and in bad times. And I will tell you this is true. When I started to follow and trust that God was working in our life, all of a sudden, I trusted that he was working in my life, just like Gideon. And, and even though sometimes we are in the midst when the world is spinning out of control around us, we find that we are okay because God is still with us. He's still working in our lives, and we are still following him, and so we can trust him. It makes this peace that other people look at me like you're crazy. And you're like, no, I'm taken care of. It's not a pie in the sky kind of peace. Jesus is real and he offers me something that you can't get anywhere else. The way that this bit, how that begins is the first thing that Jesus does is he gives us shalom with God. Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that the war between you and God is over if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Why? Because he paid the penalty, the debt that you had between you and God. When he laid down his life, it was a substitute for yours. Jesus received the wrath of God, so you didn't have to receive the wrath of God. He purchased you out of bondage into slavery and, and adopted you as his children. God is not angry with you. He loves you. Because of Christ, they have peace with God. And it, this is one of the best things because of why we sang a song today. It says, there is, no, there is no fear in life, right? Or there is no fear in death, actually, is the song that we sang. Why? Because when I die, I know that God, my judge, is also God, my father. 
He brought amazing peace. But Jesus doesn't just give us peace with God. We know that God is not up there. We're not his enemy anymore. But he also gives us shalom and life, the living this life today. It says in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, which if you've not memorized this, you should. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, the rest of the world will never understand this because they think that their peace is dependent upon their circumstance. And this world is a shifting place. And there will never be peace in this world, but we can have peace in this world. And so, if the good times might end, and then what am I going to do? Because you will know this, that my God holds me in this time, and he's got a future before me, and I'm going to be with him forever, and he's working right now. And maybe he's given me a little chance to rest and enjoy it. And if you're going through something difficult, maybe it's a health problem, maybe it's financial problems, maybe it's relationship problems, maybe, who knows what it is. If you are going through something difficult, you will know this, it will not last. Jesus has overcome the world, and he's got me today. And if I am following him, he will carry me through. And I know that, it's absolutely certain. And today is not forever, and I know where forever is, and I know where exactly where I will be. And there is peace there, and now I have peace in me, because God is at work right now. He has not abandoned me, he is working in this through me. And he will give me his grace and the strength to persevere. That's his promise. And all of a sudden you have a peace that nobody else understands. And it becomes a great testimony to those on the outside, but it also becomes a great benefit for those of us because we don't have to live with the anxieties of life. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, all these other things that everybody else told. He said, just seek my kingdom first and righteousness. God's going to provide it all. Trust him. And we have people in this church that can give testimony to that. Through sickness, through poverty, through hardship, God is still God and he carries us through. And we can have peace. He also gives us a peace of the mind. It says here, but the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, our thoughts no longer about the turmoil, the bad things that could happen because we trust the great God who is with us regardless of what happens. And so instead, we begin to set our minds what God has. What's the plan that he has right now? And I start to remember who he is and his power and his love and his, his peace. It just starts to fill my mind. And so I don't think on the the negative, the brokenness. I think about the redemption that God is at work in me in my life. I get to have an awesome story to tell in heaven. Peace in my mind. And also, we recognize how do we have this transformation? How do we get a mind of the Spirit? It's called discipleship. In the discipleship, we have that transformation we talked about last week. As we learn to follow Christ, God himself transforms us from the inside out. One of the ways he does that is he grows fruits of his spirit in our life, just like any other fruit, right? It just grows. And one of the fruits of the spirit, notice, is peace. Isn't that awesome? That peace grows in your life, not because you're trying to build your life to be peaceful, but because God will make you peaceful, that peace in you. Now, the great news is that this peace is available to all of us today. What Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, turn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Are you tired? Are you anxious? I'll tell you this. Our Lord, our God is real. And the peace of Christ is not just a story, and it's not just a feel-good patch. It is a reality, a transforming reality. It starts here on the inside, changes who we are, and puts everything else in perspective. And the storms of life may rage, but my God holds me. And you can have that peace too. But it comes by following Christ. If you've not given your life to Christ as his disciple, come to him, been saved by grace through faith, and that peace is not available to you yet, but it can be. All you need to do is begin to follow him, and it's yours. But also that means for us who are disciples. Just because we're followers of Jesus doesn't mean we're perfect. If you are pursuing your own way, doing what's right in your own eyes, don't be surprised. You have turmoil. God has not abandoned you, but he's inviting you back. He wants you to have peace. Take his yoke. So how do you do this? Well, if you have your connection card, there's some things that, that you can see here. The first of we oh, sorry, our main points here. God is our peace. Recognize that's true. The Yahweh Shalom is a reality. Make it a reality in your life. And also Jesus is Yahweh Shalom. May he be your peace. So 
What are some things that you can do? How do you apply this in your life? First one is you might want to memorize uh, that John uh, 14, 27. Give your connection card on the back side. Always next steps. Disciples take next steps. We always do. Maybe your thing is, I'm going to memorize this. I'm going to say that, you know what? Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. I do not give as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Maybe that's something that's a guard around your heart. Maybe you, this week, you think about what that says as you memorize it. How does that apply into your life this week? Or maybe what you want to do is read Judges 6. How did God win the battle? That was a real battle. There was a real dude who, whose name was Gideon. How did God bring peace in his life? He started with the altar, and then he saw it become a reality. You want to see how powerful this God is? Read Judges 6, because it's the same God today. How about this? Maybe what you need to do is invite Yahweh Shalom in. What does that mean? The peace of God. Invite him into your life. Right? That's, that's a big thing, saying, God, there are areas in my life I'm not following you. I want to follow you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to, to seek your path. I'm going to stop doing things my way. I'm just going to trust that maybe you know better than I do because, you know, you're God. And I'm going to try it and find the peace of God in your life. Or maybe what you need to do is follow Yahweh Shalom. Because Jesus didn't want this peace. He didn't just go out and then, and then just say, well, that's it. Uh, I want you to go to all people. Because we live in a community right here in Estes Park that has a lot of people who live in turmoil every single minute of their lives. That is no way to live. You have the peace of God. If you are experiencing it, then when you say, you know, you follow Yahweh Shalom, you go out into that world and you begin to share God's love. You begin to forgive the people who don't deserve it in your life. You be kind to those who are, who are difficult, right? We love our enemies because Christians have the superpower to do it because we have peace. You begin to trust God in your hardship and you begin to publicly rely on him because God will always take care of you. You begin to show this world that there is a peace that's bigger than anything they're trying to build in their life, that there is a stable rock they can build their life on. Maybe that's what you commit to this week. You say, God, I'm going to go and take your peace, and I'm going to share it because this world needs it so badly. I hope you've made a commitment because we all need to take steps. Here in a second, the worship team's going to come out as they do. Take that connection card. If you have a prayer request, please write it on there. Drop it in the offering basket, and then at, uh, as the, when it's passed, along with your tithes and your offerings. Before we do that, please uh, pray with me as we commit these gifts and these commitments to the Lord. Let's do. Father, you're good. There is no other way to say it, and it's uh, too small of a word, good, but it also <laughs> adequately describes that we're definitely not, and yet you still love us, and you have given us peace with you. You've given us the capacity to have peace with other people. We can forgive because we've been forgiven. We can show them grace because we have received grace. We can be merciful because you've shown us great mercy. Now, Father God, I pray that you would bless this congregation with your peace. May your spirit of peace fall upon those that are here today. May they experience your peace in their life in significant ways. Lord, if it's the resolving the storm in their life to quiet it, you can do it. Father, if it's by quieting them in the midst of the storm and carrying them through it. You can do that too. But Father, I pray that your peace would envelop them, surround them, and be a guard and a shield about them. This week, Father, I pray that you help us as a church to follow you, to trust you as you bring your peace into our life. May we bring your peace into this world so that others get to know the incredible blessing and the gift it is of following you, Christ. Lord, we pray that you would take these tithes and these offerings and these commitments all as a sign of our hearts that we are dedicated to you. May you build your peace in our life through them. Lord, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of our Savior, our Yahweh Shalom Jesus. Amen.